Welcome back, everybody, to Sports Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Frank. Look, guys, it's been so long, okay? It's been over a year since we did our last podcast, but we are back now. We are going to be a lot more consistent, I guess, maybe. And, um, yeah, we have a jam-packed show for you today. And as always, I'm not alone. I am with the one and only Mr. Saucy. Saucy, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. It feels so good to be back. It's been too long, you know? I know you went on paternity leave, but we're back, we're back. Yes, we're back and we're better. Um, A lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about Chelsea and their massive spend. You're a Chelsea fan, so I'm interested to hear your take on, on the Chelsea situation. We're going to talk, obviously, Arsenal and a four-train Liverpool. Before we get to all that, you watched um, Arsenal lose to Everton, yeah? You watched, you watched the game on Saturday, have you? Yeah, it was a wonderful game. Yeah, because I always like to see Arsenal's downfall. You know, that's my just me being biased. But it was a wonderful game by, you know, the man Shondai. She's back <laughs> and is looking like better than ever. So the he put out the mediocre Everton team and, you know, they were looking like a real force once again. Or like how they were under Lampard. So it feels more unlike it being a loss for Arsenal. It's more like a rejuvenated Everton side. Okay, so let's stick with Arsenal, okay? Let's just get straight into it right now. Um, Arsenal, obviously, top of the table. Five points uh, between them and Man City. Having played one game less, uh, who do you think, before we get into whether we think Arsenal can win the league, who do you think has been the most important player for Arsenal so far this season? Like, you could call a number of players... But for me, it has to be the young captain, Odegaard, because he has, you know, he has taken it to a level further than he usually is because everybody knows him for his passing and his, you know, playmaker ability. But he has added scoring to his game and that has just taken the whole... Because he leads by example and that has made the whole team better. But you can give shout-outs to Thomas Pare and, um, you know, Saliba in defence. Those are re- good guys. Even um, Ramsdale... In between the sticks the whole team is is sticking is working they are they don't have a lot of depth but they are getting the job done and ateta is really riling this young squad up okay uh honestly i didn't know you were going to pick Odegaard. Odegaard was going to be my pick but then you know you start calling names and you didn't mention saka so i'm going to you know go in that direction because he obviously has been one of i think for me he's been their best player so far this season. Seven goals, seven assists coming off that right hand side. He has been the best left right winger in the league by a mile. You know, his ability to take over games and just wreck a game single handedly. Obviously is great. And another shout out obviously to 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 Ateta who has set up this team in such a way that they are so difficult to beat. Now the Everton defeat, like you said, I think is props to Sondage, who just got back into the league. And I think, you know, there's a lot of of um, stuff that, in terms of preparation, how Arsenal would have prepared for that game if it was Lampard. You know, having Sondage come in there last minute probably uh, um, affected Arsenal's preparation and stuff like that. They probably saw a lot of things that they were not expecting from Everton. And, but throughout this season yeah throughout this season i think the way ateta has set up this arsenal team has been fantastic and i think if we were going to choose who 
back to the question that if you're going to choose who has been the best player for Arsenal so far this season, it has to be, in my opinion, Bukayo Saka, who, you know, is also partly Nigerian and that kind of helps, right? Yeah, yeah. Saka always stands out every season, you know, but the other, like, the other players now have risen to, like, his level, so he doesn't have to carry the team on his own. Like, even if Saka doesn't turn up, they still find a way to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. Also, shout out Eddie Nketiah also. I know he's had a quiet um, couple of games, but, I and I think this has to be one of the most impressive things about Arsenal so far this season, is the ability for players to just come in and, and, you know, hit, hit the ground running. We've had games where Zinchenko didn't play and they brought in either Tierney and Tomiyasu um, and they slotted him perfectly fine. Edin Ketia has more than held down that centre-forward position for Arsenal. And I think it's, it's important that we mention him when you're talking about players who yeah. have gotten Arsenal to where they are right now. So let's just get to the crux of it, okay? Because... We are 20 games into the season. That's by Arsenal. Counting from an Arsenal perspective, there are obviously some other teams that have played 21 games. And Arsenal are leading. They have a five-point lead. We still, however, have 18 games to play. The Europa League is coming hard and fast. Pause. And um, yeah, there is... And, and you mentioned, obviously, Arsenal not having depth. So... Do you think Arsenal have what it takes to win the Premier League this season? That's a big question because I'm a man that likes to believe that, you know, like there's a, there's a way everything should go because like at this stage of the season with this amount of points, nobody has lost the league except maybe Liverpool in 09, but nobody else has lost the league. But the difference between those other times and now is they do not have Pep's Man City chasing them but on that note Pep's Man City they have not been they are, like there's something off like yeah. I can't put I can't put my finger on it but they, they, they don't have the same ruthlessness and hunger as they you know they have had the other season yeah. so if Arsenal can win the league it has to be now it has to be now but I hope they don't I hope they don't but it's unlikely to just rule them out the loss against Everton you know you can't you can't win them all so those, but if they can win the important games, like from here on out, I think they can do it. So the most, the where the season decider will have to be the two games against City. That will be where mm. what decides the league, and that will be how we will know who wins. But at the moment, with a game in hand against City and five points ahead, you can't really see them giving it up with the confidence they have. But. The, the, the title race is still, it's still a long way to go because aside from City, Man United is still very close. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they are still not so, they are still not so far away, just like eight points, I believe. Yeah. And so it has to be, just be consistent. They have to just win every game from here on out to be able to win the league. If they can do that, they win. So can they? Yeah, I I mean obviously it's going to say. it's going to make a lot of sense for being a Man U fan. I would love. For my Arsenal and Man City to just continue losing and Man you just sneak in and win the title. I'll be honest here, regarding this question, I have sort of been on defense. Like in some ways, you obviously want to believe that Arsenal can do it. But then there's the Man City factor. And then, you know, you said Man City are actually not they've not been their best this season. And if I'm being honest, after the Everton game, 
um, after the Everton loss leading up to this sports game this evening, I had already decided or or made up my mind that Arsenal were not going to be good enough to win the league because I feel for them to do that, they need to play a perfect game for the rest of the season. And when you factor in the fact that, you know, the Europa League is coming in and they don't necessarily have the kind of depth that, that Man City have and, you know, the fact that they can still have the odd losses, like like the game against Everton seemed like a weird game to lose. The entire Arsenal fan base were very frustrated when they drew to Newcastle, which was a, a whole weird thing. So a whole lot can still go wrong when you have 18 games left. And, you know, I don't think Arsenal can play a perfect game from now to the end of the season. But the fact of the matter is this. The reason why they are in the position they are right now is because no one in the league is playing perfect football. Liverpool are bad. Spurs are not good, except when they are playing Man City, apparently. United are hot and cold sometimes. Chelsea is not a good football team. Will never be a good football team. Has never been a good football team. <laughs> and so, you know, I can't say Arsenal can, should play perfect football from now to the end of the season and expect the rest of the, of the league you get to play perfect football. And so when you put those two things into balance, it only makes sense that Arsenal ha, um, can go on and win the league because they have shown more than the rest that they can hit a level that nobody else can and they can stay there for a long period of time. Now, obviously, it will be interesting to see how they deal with the situation they are in now, having lost, again, a very weird game against Everton. This, by far, is their worst game. I, I went and I checked um, chances created, their XG for every single game they've played this season. This, by far, has been their worst game in terms of XG for the entire season. Since their very first game against Crystal Palace, they've created over one XG a game. They had 0 0.9 against Everton. And while that is props to Sean Dyche, it does show that maybe that loss against Man City is waning on them. And they still have those two games against Man City. So, you know, I want to believe that they can do it. And I really think they can. But they need to play perfect football from now to the end. And it's difficult to see them doing that. That being said, I think they will. I think they go at it and do it. I'm happy for Arsenal. I'm actually happy for Arteta. I think he's a good coach. I am not happy for any single Arsenal fan that I know because there are a whole bunch of frustrating, you know, <laughs> proud set of people. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's good. They are going to have their one minute of, of fame and we go on. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But if you take it back to that City game, so that's I think that's the first time they're going back to back games now scoring in the season. Mm. So, I don't know if this is the start of a slump, Shabo. No, I think they will shake it off first. They, they, are, they, are in, they, are, they are in good spirits. I, I hope they don't do it, but uh, it would be nice if they can. Yeah, it's, so, it, it would be nice if they can. I mean, it's been how many years for them? I, I don't know. I don't, care. I don't want to make, make it look like I'm, I'm throwing shit. Obviously, I'm part of me is joking. Part of me really doesn't care about Arsenal fans, but... Yeah, who knows? Let's let's talk about a more interesting team. Or a less interesting team, actually, which is Chelsea. Which is a team you support, by the way. Yes? 
It's the best thing in England. It's just that we are going through a, you know, a restructuring phase. Mm. Every club goes through this under new management. And, you know, from the Russian-Ukraine war, you know, Chelsea was a very, they, they took a big hit in that. So, <laughs> you're blaming a potential the, World War Three for the reason course. why Chelsea is, is bad now. No, 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 no. Because, because Roman Abramovich, that affected the whole club and the whole mentality at that stage. So this is mm. just us recovering from, you know, the whole things that have been, aff- that have been happening off the pitch mm. that, has, that has been affecting the performance on the pitch. So this is just, you know, it's a process. It's a process, you know. New owners, mm. new manager, new structure, you know, a lot of new players. So it will take a lot of time to, for them to gel together, you know. You don't just buy... 11 people that have not played together and just mm. expect them to just okay okay so the ground running so yes yeah yeah so let, let me just let me just you know ask you a proper question so i can get an actual answer from you because um between the summer and january window chelsea spent well over half a billion half a billion on transfer fees you know players like raheem sterling Kokrea, fofana but look it's a long list enzo fernandez came in for over 100 million and so Let's rate this Chelsea transfer window individually. Do you think they will get value for money? What do you think if you're going to rate Chelsea's transfer dealings from one to ten? Let's just forget the amount of money that was spent. So it's obviously a ridiculous amount of money. And hopefully, if PFF doesn't do anything about it, EFCC can because you guys are stealing money. Anyway, what do you rate Chelsea's transfer dealings so far from one to ten? Like what? Like what I feel. Because there's not they did not do anything that will break, you know, any regulation or anything. Mm. You might like a lot of people feel that football is just, you know, sees a player, you know, that he likes or anything that's you know, that he feels is reasonably good mm. and just goes out and spend the cash. But he actually has a plan. Because when you look at each an individual player, they are all talented players. Like if you want to rate each of them like a lot like individually, they are talented players, a lot of midfielders, you know, a lot of young people. Mm. So and what I love about how, you know, they are going about this business is they, don't, they are not just buying anybody. They, have, they, they actually have a plan. And by giving these players this um, long contract, seven years, mm. six years, you know, till, 2020, till 2030, you know, those length of contracts, the, you know, this, if you now look at the spend of like the salary to the amount spent on the player, you see that it's actually a very, very good business plan that they're working on because this, they will not they won't spend this much every window this is just like changing the squad like making like this is the squad that okay potter we have to work with you know and mm-hmm. build on for you know the foreseeable future so bully just wants to get the business done now and done fast so f- i feel you know it's a lot like for me it's a lot so soon but it's better than not doing anything actually so it's for me it's a very it's a very good window. They got they got very talented players, a World Cup winner, potential as in people that can take the club to a new level. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good like it's it's good business. If you have the money, you spend it. If you have the money, you spend it. If you're not breaking any rules. So I mean, yeah, I the only weird one was, you know. Go on, go on. I, I I feel I felt the Felix on loan was was a bit weird, but he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, you haven't given me a number yet. I want to hear a number from you. One to ten. Everybody um, in the, everybody Chelsea signed, which 
I understand this a lot. I'm sure you probably don't know how many Chelsea players, how many players Chelsea signed this season. But but what do you rate rate everybody? One to ten. What do you think the window is? Like it, no, like it's a mixture. Like you know, if you go back all the way to mm. Abumayang and them Fufana mm. and to, to Enzo, I think that's the you know the start and the end. Mm. Taking in the average of everybody is a solid seven. Solid seven. <sighs> SSL. Mike. Solid seven, even pushing to eight, like what yeah, seven I, seven. I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be honest with you, yeah. I, I give it a zero. I give it a zero because I don't understand, yeah, how Chelsea spent six hundred million over between two windows and you know what let's just take out let's take out the summer window because at that point they probably didn't see some of the problems that they have and let's just put into consideration the um january window which was a madness the amount of players they were able to get in how haven't chelsea managed to sign a striker chelsea have scored 22 goals this season that's the worst the least scoring team in the top 10 the team above them in terms of scoring in the top 10 is fulham fulham have scored 32 goals that is 10 goals more chelsea have scored less goals than aston villa leicester and leeds they spent 600 million and they couldn't sign a striker so it just it feels like when you were saying well it looks like they are signing and they are signing with a plan they there was no plan there was absolutely no plan there is an obvious flaw in the team which is they cannot score goals and they did a whole lot of business in the windows and the only thing they refused to address was signing a striker like 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 I don't know how you know how what meetings they are having. Like mm. I said, they had a plan. I don't say it was a perfect plan. Oh, the okay. plan was to get all the young talents in the world yeah. and bring them to Chelsea. It's like when was, it's like when it's like when you and Precious were playing FM. You know, sign all the young players to your team so other people don't get to sign them. That's a perfect plan. That's exactly what Todd Bull is doing. He's playing FM. Uh, but the striker issue, like for me, I, I felt like you know, mm. if you want to spend this amount of money, you know, why don't why don't you just go out get to seamen, you know? Exactly. That will seem like you know it will complete the team. Mm. But it has been a while since Chelsea have been having striker issues, even before Todd Bowley. You know, I think if I if I should guess, I think they are maybe they are looking for the right player, or maybe they have checked all the strikers available and maybe they say, okay, this is not the window to bring the person in. Only God mm. knows what the plan would have been because Graham Potter, mm. even if he has not coached at this high level, he's still an experience and he's still a good coach. Mm. So I feel there's a lot of things that are happening in the background that maybe we don't fully understand. But based on what we're saying, we know that Tottenham just wants to get all the young stars and, you know, build on them. Yeah. I mean, I know I was critical about the striker thing. It's, it's perplexing to me. I feel like they should have gotten in a striker. And I know the Fofana guy, came in he looked okay in the chelsea in the last chelsea game yeah that was against fulham yeah uh, he played like five minutes or so he looked okay he's not going to help you win anything if you are being honest I, I i don't think so i just feel like it was something they should have addressed 
that aside, you know, the rest of the signings look pretty good. I like I like Fofana. I think he's injured right now. Ryan Sterling is actually a good player. Look, Chelsea are a weird team. And you know, you talked about um, Potter. So let's let's make this a Potter argument right now. Because I feel like Chelsea, Chelsea do this every time. They do this stuff where they go for a season where they look abysmal. And then the next season or, or, or two or three after that, they look like they're the best team in Europe. And so it's difficult to judge them because they happen to manage chaos almost better than any team in the, in the world. But for that to happen, you know, they need to have a manager. And let's just draw the cousin back for people because where we were um, doing the rundown, when we were doing a um, list of things to do for the podcast, I had a typo when I was writing is Graham Potter a good manager? I happen to put hood manager there and you made a very dry joke. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, but the fact of the matter is this year, I don't know if Graham Potter is a hood manager because in many ways, that's what Chelsea need. They need Antonio Conte, you know, Jose Mourinho, you know, those kind of guys that can you know, sell drugs on the streets, if you get what I mean. I, and, and Potter, who I like, just doesn't seem to be that kind of character. And I don't know if that suits Chelsea. And so the question to you is this. Do you think Graham Potter is good enough to be the Chelsea manager and to take them to where they ultimately want to be? Are you, wait, are you taking a piece? You call <laughs> Mourinho and Conte. We have been there. We have done that. We have done Mourinho twice. Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying, no, 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 you don't get the point. The point uh, I'm making is like those managers are like specific type of managers. They are gangsters in some ways. Yeah, they are mavericks. Yeah, but and, and for me, like if, if if you want to build a squad or if you want to build a team, you don't sign Conte. You sign Conte if you're looking for success immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But that the but and, but that model has never been the model of, of of following the process has never really been Chelsea. And you might want to say all you want about well, they're signing young players. The fact of the matter is they've spent six hundred million. And you said it. They're not going to spend a ton of money anymore. So there is a certain win now mentality to what Oddball is doing. Yes, he's signing young players, but he's also signing them at a high rate and at a high amount. And so, at some point, he's going to want these investments to come due, you get. And I don't know if he's going to be sticking around for the process. So, what do you think about Graham Potter as a manager? Graham Potter was very, he was very good at Brighton. And I was skeptical initially when they signed Potter because, you know, I've never seen him coach at a very high level, like this kind of big team, you know. Brighton, you know, he did wonders with Brighton. And everybody knows that, you know, when the pressure is on you, it's different from when like you're achieving in a smaller club. Like when you like when the pressure is on you in a big club, like you have no choice but to win. But in a team like Brighton, when it was building, like if you don't win, you know, it's expected. But then if you win or if you pull up a big result, then it's you know, your class, you know, mm. you are pulling out big results. So I felt Potter was not ready for the Chelsea rule at the time they signed him because you know it was like throwing him into the ocean from when he was you know from being in a lake or something so they threw him into the deep end and they expected it to make it work so when Potter was signed I knew that oh this guy will not bring us trophies like right now right now right now like it will be a you know a long term affair but 
for him to even be able to have that time, you should show some signs of, okay, I will be able to do that. But at the moment, from what I've seen, he might be able to do that, but he's not showing the signs that, okay, I can do that, but yeah. he might be able to do that. So I think that they should still give him, like, it should, like we should see how he performs next season. It will be next season we'll be able to say, oh, oh, this guy's, this guy's crap. Or, ah, oh, that was just, you know, the orientation phase last season. You know, because he you know, he not technically start the season, but it was still very early on in the season. So I feel Potter needs time. And I feel if given the time and if he can put his stamp on the team, he can make Chelsea into a real force. They signed him for a reason, maybe because he's, you know, Todd Bowley wanted, you know, somebody loyal to him or maybe not like to kill very much. But I feel I have no choice but to trust Potter right now. And he can do it. I trust the man. Yeah, I mean, as it's as a tactical mind, I, I feel like he's he's a good manager. We also what he did at Brighton and yeah, but like you said, you know, the problem is it's looking, it's not looking good in Chelsea. You know, I understand that they're in a weird situation in terms of they're bringing in a lot of players and the whole team, you know, is just in a weird situation. But they're not playing particularly good football. And so, you know, that is why, I think that's even the, part of the reason why this question is, is in the rundown in the first place. Because I felt... Like, even if Chelsea were, you know, hampered by... I, I, obviously, they, they have a school-scoring problem. But every other thing around the team looks not great. Like, besides Thiago Silva, who is just, you know, anchoring the defense. The rest of the team, like, the midfield looks meh. And, like, the wingers look meh. And it just... It, it, there doesn't seem to be anything that Chelsea does really well. And that has to be on the coach. And so, yeah, I, and like I said, I, I take it back to what Chelsea is as a football club. And maybe Todd Bowley is going to change that a little bit. But Chelsea have never been, you know, a, a, a club to, to give a manager time. As a matter of fact, Todd Bowley didn't give Tuchel any time. And I guess, you know, he met him there. He doesn't have any loyalties to Tuchel. It's nice. But he, if you spend this amount of money on players, at some point, you know, you're going to want them to perform. You know, and you can't sell these players anymore. You've signed them to, to, to long-term contracts spanning over eight years. And so you, you literally cannot get rid of them. And so the easiest person among the Chelsea system to get rid of right now is the coach and... It's going to be unfortunate if he happens to, you know, carry a huge part of the dysfunction that is Chelsea. It's just going to be sad because I do, I actually do like Graham Potter. Yeah. But we'll see. Right now, um, Chelsea currently sits 10th on the table. Nine. Which Ninth. Okay, so Chelsea is ninth, which by the way is, you know, so far away from where Manchester United is, which I'm a Manchester United fan. Woo -woo. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Liverpool when we get back. And um, yeah, stick with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. And we're talking Liverpool. Because why not? 
why not talk about Liverpool instead of talking about the second best team in the Premier League, which is Manchester United, who are in a ton of form and can't seem to lose at home with Eric Ten Hag. But we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about boring old Liverpool. We don't want to talk about Rashford, who is better than Messi, and Weghurst, who is better than Ronaldo, and Anthony, who is better than Messi. But let's talk about Liverpool. And let's you, find out you, why. Are you, are you done? Are you done? <laughs> no, I'm being serious here. Okay, let's talk about Liverpool. Okay, let's talk about the team that is tenth on the table instead of talking about Manchester United, who are better than Real Madrid. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think is the major reason why Liverpool have been awful this season? Which, by the way, rant season reason. Yeah. Go, go, why? I can only put it down to maybe money putting a cost. <laughs> because the, the only thing that changed in Liverpool was money living. That was the only mm. thing that changed was money living. Because Liverpool, you know, they have, they have been known to not sign the flashiest of players, yeah. but the people they sign, you know, that oh, they, make it, they make it work, they get into the system. Hmm? And they signed Luis Diaz, you know, initially to replace Mane, and it looked brilliant for you know for the time he was around before this is long term injury. Darwin mm. Nunes, you know, is you know very rough around the edges, but you know that is you know he has this raw power, like he plays the game for you know for the love of the game. So, and we know Klopp is a good, is a, is a good manager, like a very very good manager. Like, if not for, you know, the form that City has been all these years, Liverpool had the ability to be able to take the, to claim the Premier League like three times in a row and all that. So this season, like the previous time that Liverpool had a, you know, mediocre season, it was, it, it was down to Van Dijk's injury yeah. and all that. And even with that, they still managed to, you know, take third that season. But now, the only, the, now what is happening to them is very, very, very weird very awkward they, they should be better even after losing money for signing darwin now they have signed Gakpo. you know they have made some other even javier Elliott is looking good as you know as the only person looking good in the last um couple of games after salah got his huge contract he stopped playing football <laughs> so it's it's funny and trent has been very terrible in defense, Van Dyke. Everybody's just everybody's just like if you play Liverpool, you know, oh, we can win this. Yeah. Wolves gave them a pumping last match and Klopp was saying rubbish after the game, you know, making <laughs> useless excuses. So the the team is it's they're in a very weird, funny place because you can't really say, okay, fine. You can't say that their injuries are their problem or they don't have the right players. These are the same players that have been doing it for several seasons. The only thing that changed, like I said, was money. So, I can't, I can't. Yeah. I mean, if money, well. if money plays the course or like went to do some sort of voodoo, then, you know, Pogba should probably go and meet him because, you know, whatever voodoo is doing, is not working for his, for his injuries. Anyway, look, Liverpool have an, uh, I feel like it's an injury problem, okay? Coupled with the fact that they have not replaced Wijnaldum since they left, since he left, and they seem to have been shocked by how 
bad um, Henderson has been this season. And so, you know, I cannot say it's an injury problem because the players that they field, the 11 they field, those are players that can, you know, bring it out any day, like, and play and win games. Mm. You, don't even, you don't need all your players to be able to win Wolves or to be able to grind the result against... Uh, they, they were able yeah. to win City this season. So, they can do it. Yeah. It's just that the players, they are not just turning up this season. The consistency is not there. The belief is not there. The Yeah, it still boils down to the fact that they, they can't do a lot of what they do really well anymore. So, obviously, Liverpool, what they do really well, better than almost anybody in the world, is press the entire field. Yeah. So, they play mm. with a whole lot of energy. And that's, you, you know, for a long time, even during their peak years, we talked about Liverpool had to structure their midfield in such a way that it was filled with just high-energy guys. And, you know, we talked about when are they going to sign in number 10, somebody who's actually going to create chances for them because they had they left the creativity of the entire team to Robertson and Arnold and Firmino when he was at his best, you know, sort of carried that. But right now, they don't have Trent and Robertson playing at anywhere near their highest level. They don't have a midfield that can press the ball aggressively and recover the ball. And they are a disaster defensively. And, and so, you know, it seems to be an all-around failure in terms of they let Wijnaldum go for free, by the way. They have not been able to replace him. Uh, they got Cavalio, who I think is a good player, but he's what? He's 19. He definitely doesn't feel like a Liverpool player to me. And when I mean like Liverpool player, like he doesn't seem like an energy guy. He's not a one out of that, that one is for sure. And Henderson hasn't been good this season. And so, like, Liverpool can't go out and press, press aggressively. Or they shouldn't go out and press aggressively because they don't just have the players to do that right now. And yet, it feels like they continue doing it and teams keep attacking them. And they have and a, a Trent Alexander-Arnold problem. Now, why is this personal to me? <laughs> You're laughing. Why is this personal to me? I picked Trent first in our FPL draft, and I have to bench him every week. It's frustrating. Wait, wait. <laughs> And honestly, you bench Trent. Yeah, I, I bench Trent. I, I, okay, maybe he, he's probably been in for the last two weeks. But I'm benching Trent. Why am I not benching Trent? He's giving me zero points every week. What are you talking about? And honestly, you know, I said this probably as a, not, not as a joke, actually. But I did it. I, I want to know what your thoughts on this is. Because I feel like Trent Alexander-Arnold is one Bissaka. They are the exact same player. We give one Bissaka a lot of shit because... He can't do anything for you offensively, but he is just absolutely exceptional defensively. Anybody going 1v1 against Wambisaka is second best for the entire 90 minutes. He is the definition of an island. You go through him, you're not going past. But you pass him the ball offensively and your team is going to break down. Trent is the opposite. Trent can only cross the ball. Every other thing he does, he does bad. He can't defend. They play him like an inverted fullback. 
basically to enter midfield and, and the reason why i talked we talked about this i think at the start of the season the reason why they did that is to open up more angles so when you play in the half space you have a lot of a lot more passing options like you're, you're making passes from the half space as against making crosses from wide areas and so they are talking Trent into the half space so he can be a lot more creative but the thing is he doesn't give you yeah. the other things that inverted fullbacks give you like Zinchenko's ability to dominate midfield or when Cancelo plays in the half space and he's beating players up the dribble the only thing he does is cross the ball and then he's bad in every other thing so I don't think it's crazy to call him one second. Now, obviously, because, you know, um, attacking play is rewarded or seen to be more valuable than defensive play, he's not going to get nearly as much um, stick the way one second, who, by the way, is playing well so far since um, the World Cup, since after the World Cup. He's not going yeah, to get... Yeah, I picked him. Yeah, picked him. Since, oh, really? You did? Ah, sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. Anyway, he's not going to get as much stick as someone like Bissaka. But if you really look at it, yeah, they are the exact same player, just flipped around. Juan Bissaka is the defensive version of Arnold, or you can say Arnold is the attacking version of, of Juan Bissaka. Am I crazy? Oh, no, you're yeah, not. It's, it's just like, it's just like, um, like if your team is playing well, mm. like if your team is playing well, you rather have a threat. Yeah, yeah. If your team is playing terribly, that you need to defend. You would rather have a Wan Bissaka. But like I can see Wan Bissaka even trying to improve, but defensively, Trent is just clueless. Like is mm. the the like weak points like is an understatement. Like <laughs> you can just like if he makes a def if he makes a like if he makes a like a defensive like if he makes a decision defensively correct, like it's always a you know, a highlight like ah you clap, ah Trent, you try you for that. Mm. And Technically, his first job yeah. is to defend, yeah. but you know the whole fullback and mm -hmm. wing backs and whatever the role has been, you know, redefined in modern football. It's like one of the most important roles now. Like your fullback should be able to create plays and cross and take corners and all that. So that's why, and a lot of that recently has been down to how Trent has been performing. But now, when he can't do that. It seems like a very mediocre player, or even was a mediocre. Mm. It seems like a very lazy player. He does, he does, and, and you know that's going to be the end uh, end of um, the Liverpool talk and the end of the podcast too. Which, by the way, for some reason we didn't happen to talk about Manchester United, which are you know in the Carling Cup final, still in the FA Cup, still could win the Premier League, still in the Europa, probably better than Real Madrid. Oh. Who knows? Um, yeah, but it's been a wonderful episode. Um, you were okay. I give you a um, solid four, solid four out of ten. You'll be better in the next episode, I hope. And um, yeah, catch you. Yeah, you were crap. You were, you were crap, sure. So that's <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Um, share, subscribe, like, rate, whatever you have to do. Um, to you know, get the podcast out there for us, and we'll catch you guys next time. See you all. Oh, did they stop this thing? Fuck, 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 fuck.